0: I'm Brad Hirschfield, and this is Cracking the Echo Chamber, because there is always more to the story, and because the cracks are not only where the light gets in, but where it shines out into the world. Wisdom, after all, is a two-way street, and this is where we pave that road. And I'm especially happy today we have a great guest, Salam Bati, who is the national spokesperson for Ahmadiyya Muslim Community USA, and welcome. So glad to have you here. Thanks for having me and shalom to all the listeners. All right. So here's the thing. I first heard about you um, in part because of a website that Elad, who's sitting here with us as well, Hello. showed me um, about your work and the Meet a Muslim program. Oh, yeah. And I was I was blown away. I said, oh, my God, we have a show called Cracking the Echo Chamber. And here is a guy who is committing himself, who founded an initiative whose whole purpose in one way or another is to crack that echo chamber, especially since we now know that more than 60 percent of Americans have never met a Muslim. And we'll talk about that because there's actually a piece of me that thinks that's a really promising thing in the sense that, wow, it's about one and a half percent of the American community. So maybe we're doing great Mm -hmm. that 60 percent have. And so we'll talk about the role and importance of meeting, but clearly it could be better. Um, And and we're going to talk a little bit about that. So tell us about the project. And we'll get to talking about you personally, because I'm really fascinated by how you came to do this. But first, I think people want to know, meet a Muslim. What's that about?
1: You know, I I wish I could take credit for Meet a Muslim, but I can't. Uh, That's a project of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association. And this youth association is in over 70 chapters across America. It's also one of the oldest Muslim youth groups as well. Wow. And um, what we did is this year we launched the Meet a Muslim campaign. And in over 60 cities across the nation, in over 120 locations, there were Meet a Muslims happening all on the same day. So we are dedicated to driving that 62% number, that 62% of Americans don't know a Muslim. I think we made a mark that day, <laughs> and we had people from all walks of life uh, coming up and asking questions like, yo, what's jihad? Yo, what is Islam? You know, Tell me about women's rights. Yo, what's up with that veil? Right. And, and then ultimately, people were even... Um, my brother was over in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and a, a lady ran out of a farmer's market to give them fresh-baked goods. She's wow. like, I love what you guys are doing, and um, I support you guys. Uh, You had people giving high fives and hugs and just all sorts of warmth. So it was really fantastic.
0: Huh. So when you said it was founded by the youth organization. When did it get founded, and, and what was the idea behind it? I mean, it's beautiful on its face, but there's an animating idea behind doing this.
1: So then the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, about uh, nearly a year and a half ago, after the San Bernardino Massacre, had created the True Islam Campaign. Now, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community are Muslims who believe in the Messiah, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian. We believe he came to revive Islam's true teachings, to unite mankind, and to... Established the truth of his claim. Now the revival of Islam happened through rational discourse. You know, no war, no extremism. That rational discourse proved that Islam is a uh, anti-extremist faith, and rational discourse happened through Ahmad through writing over eighty books thousands of lectures, and writing tens of thousands of letters. So that's the model we're emulating as Ahmadi Muslims. The True Islam campaign was an answer to President, well, former President Obama's call for Muslim leaders to unite against extremism. And so we said, you know, there are some Muslims who are, you know, uh, insulted by that type of rhetoric But we said, no, we got to take ownership of it That there is a failure in Islamic leadership Here in this country and around the world hmm. That we have Muslim youth who are being radicalized And they are turning to extremist groups Because they think that's what Islam actually is So we launched a True Islam campaign You can visit it at trueislam.com It's 11 points that shows things like freedom of You know, Islam is all about freedom of uh, religion uh, Women's rights uh, Jihad is uh, an internal struggle All that kind of stuff And so we took every single point that extremists will use to brainwash the youth and said, nope, they have it wrong. This is what Islam actually is. And so meet a Muslim falls under that as well. Great.
0: So I want to talk more about that whole notion of true Islam, those 11 points, some of which I think are genuinely inspiring for people of any faith or no faith at all. Mm. And I want to hear what you have to say about them. But I I want to hear a little bit about the personal meeting, like where did the meetings happen and and how did they happen? And are there stories that you have from those moments? I think that's really, really important. Before we get to the lofty ideas, it's like what was actually happening out
1: there in the world? when you went and said, okay, here I am. Where was even the here? Where did they occur? You know, it, all across America, all different types of places, universities, in front of coffee shops. We were here in front of Times Square. Uh, we had some And flushing. just put up like a sign that said, yeah. meet a Muslim? Yeah, we had signs, we had whiteboards, just meet a Muslim, ask me anything, simple. Right. You know, and shirts that said, meet a Muslim as well. Uh, and we had stuff like, well, for example, I had a meeting with, I, I met up with three Saudi Arabians, uh, three Muslims from Mecca, from the motherland. And they're like, what are you doing? And I said, well, you know, 62% of Americans don't know a Muslim. So we have to let them know what Islam's true teachings are. And they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, you guys don't get it because everybody's Muslim where you're from. (laughs) So this was, it was like a meeting of two different worlds colliding.
2: The Muslims were meeting Muslims. Yes. It it, it was (laughs) like, whoa,
1: tell me about what it's like over there, you know? And then we had um, people across the the country, like I said, just, you know, uh, so much warmth and so much... uh, Uh, you know, uh, members of the community who had never even uh, come out to events who said, you know, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so thankful that you're here. But, you know, if I can't see you now or if I don't have time to talk now, when can I speak with you again? So every single other, uh, every single group is doing a coffee cake and true Islam event as well, which it goes through trueislam.com slash events where you can type in your zip code and every single week all across the nation, we have free coffee, free cake, and you come and you And you ask, learn. And you Study, learn. ask anything you want. But the beauty as well is that it's not just about meeting Muslims, but so many different neighbors come right. that everybody's meeting each other as well. And that's fantastic.
0: So I think this is really important. is this personal encounter piece, right? And, and Elad, you and I were talking about this before. That one of the things I loved about this idea actually has nothing to do with Islam and nothing to do with... right. It's just the, the belief that if people would meet each other face to face, look into each other's eyes... Mm-hmm that that will make—we so- don't even know exactly what, but it will make some kind of difference. And I wonder if you could talk, not institutionally, but for you, salam. Right? There are a million good reasons to say it doesn't help, it won't work, why bother? And yet at the core of a Meet a Muslim initiative or, or a Coffee and Cake initiative is, no, 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 it will work. Meeting another person
1: face-to-face makes a difference. Can you talk about that? You know, the, it comes down to precedent. You know, I'm, I'm an attorney. I love precedent. And not just that, but I, I know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about me. I went to an Orthodox Jewish law school. So I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm three years Jewish as well. <laughs> and uh, you know, it comes down to precedent that God's prophets have always gone and met with each other. It's never
0: been through. What do you any, mean God's will garment and talk, talk with each other? Talk to, about spread,
1: to spread their message. Right. It was always dialogue, meeting with each other, having dinners together, uh, and just talking things out. It was never about fighting each other or using some different medium to, to spread their word. It was really just, let's get to know each other. And that's why there's such a, unif- a unifying principle in all faiths to be kind to your neighbor. You know, neighbor isn't expressly defined as the person who lives next to you. You know, it could be the, you know, we're all neighbors because we're all sitting at the same table. You know, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said that your neighbor is the 40 people around you or the 40 houses around you. So it's a big deal to be kind to your neighbor. Kind isn't just saying, hey, how are you? You have to go outside of your comfort zone. So there were hundreds of Muslim youth who went outside of their comfort zone to meet each other. And that is how we effectuate change. So
0: I think that's huge because I think that journey outside the comfort zone is something everyone, from the most progressive to the most conservative, that's the cracking the echo Mm -hmm. chamber piece. We actually don't want to be beyond our comfort zone, except for people who like to be beyond their comfort zone, in which case that is their comfort zone, Mm -hmm. right? There was a religious leader who said, no, 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 you can't be comfortable. My whole calling in life is to get people to be uncomfortable. And I looked at her and said, that's because that's where you're comfortable. (laughs) So what is it, do you think, that allowed all these kids and young adults like you, young professionals like you, to say, you know, this isn't totally comfortable, but we're going to do it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's a great time to be a Muslim. I think that's what it is. They see the, in the media. You do
0: know plenty of people go, oh my God, this guy is crazy. I listen to you and go, oh, my God, this is the moment in the conversation. I know I'm, I'm sitting with a person of faith.
1: It's, you know, I, I think I, it's very humbling to hear. Um, I try my hardest. And the thing is, is that... Point
0: two of being a person of faith. <laughs>
1: we, we are literally... Bit- I'm not there, but I'm... Well, look, that's,
0: that's my measure, right? Like, when someone says, I'm trying, the persons I've already gotten there, they make me a little nervous, frankly. The person who says, I'm trying, with all my heart, God, I am trying. Oh, yeah. That's the person I feel like, you know what? That's a religious character. That's a spiritual template I understand. Always trying, never there, but actually believing we will get there. Right When you say it's a great time to be a Muslim, and I don't want to be cavalier about it because I understand all the arguments for why maybe not. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, a big piece of what it means to be faithful is that actually there's more there than meets the eye. And there's more good than we at first have been trained to see. And that for me, what powers that, that's what I mean by faith. Whatever gives me the strength to imagine, things are better than they've let me believe. And if I trust that, cool things are going to happen. So I'm now back to the same. What allows you and the people who you're closest to to
1: do that? Yeah, it's a great time to be a Muslim right now. And that's not only because... There's high Islamophobia, but inversely, there's also a high Mm Islamo-curiosity. And so people have questions. And since 62% of Americans don't know a Muslim, they don't know who to ask. They don't know where to get their questions answered. And there is this concept of um, being uh, hateful towards uh, Muslims uh, indirectly due to media. You know, you... Even Muslims are being affected by it as well. Over the past 15 years, we've seen Muslims in a negative light on TV. Mm-hmm. And so if we see somebody in traditional Muslim attire uh, or Middle Eastern attire, rather, we will be a little suspicious as well. And so we're we've got to counter that as well. And the Muslim youth out there, we're letting them know that your faith is you and you being an American is you as well. And there's no argument between the two. You can be a proud Muslim American and there's no conflict. And go out on the streets and express your First Amendment right. Let's do it. Mm-hmm.
0: So I think what's really interesting is, and it was, I was going to ask and you said, you know, I've got three years of being Jewish too. And I get it. It's a cavalier fun line. It makes for, you know, good entertaining podcasting. But it also is more than that. And you said a version of it now, which is that identity is not zero sum. I have no doubt if I ask you, Quick salam, are you 100% Muslim? And the answer would be? Yeah. Quick salam, are you 100% American? Heck yeah. <laughs> Quick salam, is there some piece of you that's also a little bit Jewish? Oh yeah. <laughs> right. And and that's I think that's hard for people, but it's so true. You know, I remember I was in a room once in a conversation. This was actually all Jews and it was all around Jewish youth and loss of identity and all the crazy panic. That actually the only people I know have these same weird concerns about, you know, we're losing people. It's actually Muslims. Understand it's the same way you're like, I'll go to a mosque community. They're, it's, it could be like in a, in a synagogue. community. We're losing our kids. And I said to an imam, who was a friend of mine, I said, really? You like misplaced them? Because what do you mean you lost a person? Do not know where he lives? No, I know where he lives. I said, then you haven't lost him. You may be concerned that he's not living out his faith the way you would like, but you don't lose another Mm -hmm. person unless you write them off. That's right. So let's not talk about losing people. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really hard. And I think one of the things that makes it hard, we're like trained. No, no, no. You're this or you're that, as opposed to you can be 100% this and 100% that because identity is not a physical thing that it gets full and then it's maxed out. Now, it doesn't mean that everything fits with everything. I'm not a complete syncretist. See, I said not complete, but I'm open to the fact that a little bit I am. But that, that somehow you can be 100% this and 100% that and 20% another thing and 40% another thing because you, Salam, are more than any of those things
1: and you wouldn't be you without each of them. And to that point, since I'm 100% American and 100% Muslim, I'm twice the man. Right, and I think that's really again. It it sounds like a okay.
0: joke. It's a really serious thing, and that's the. I'm that's. I think that's gonna be, I'm going to take you more seriously than you do because that's your humility. But I think that's really, really important. I am curious as we talk
2: about that. I, I just was yeah, really please. curious about. Uh, did you get any negative responses? Like in terms of the people
1: that actually met up with you guys uh, as opposed yes, to yes, yes, yeah? actually. So one of my friends, who's a white Muslim, uh, he converted a few years ago. Uh, a white supremacist actually approached him. And, a white supremacist. Oh, yes, wow. yes, wow. and started yelling at him and stuff yeah. like that. Betraying your race, blah, blah, blah. And, and when you know, he got close, he could smell a little alcohol on his breath, too. <laughs> doesn't so, hurt. Yeah, so there was a— uh, I mean,
0: it doesn't hurt to make you obnoxious. It yeah. That's,
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Might hurt, yeah. There was no one it helps hurt. obnoxious. No, right, no, I'm saying— It hurts in life. General, but, yeah. <laughs> and there was another incident of where there was an argument happening between the, um, uh, one of the guests and uh, one of our Muslim volunteers, and, but it ended in a hug. Well, so how did, so that, how did that get
2: from there to there?
1: Man, I wasn't there. So oh, yeah. it, it was, it, there was a dialogue happening, though. There was a conversation. And I think at the end of it, once th- this guy must have never met a Muslim uh, or oh, yeah. didn't know a Muslim. And once he heard what he was hearing, then he's like, you know what? All right. Did did you guys um,
2: like do anything to prep? Or was it just like, we're just going to go out and, and see what happens? Like We've been
1: prepping for decades. You know? <laughs> What We've do been you mean prepping for decades? I think, no, no, I get uh, it. That's okay. yeah. <laughs> but
0: really, I think... There is a notion that we're preparing for these encounters all the time. And communities can either teach us from the youngest age to be suspicious of the world or to be open to the world. And it has nothing to do, in my experience, with how passionately committed you are. Mm -hmm. There's a passionately committed way to shut down and an equally passionately committed traditional way to remain open. So when you say we've been preparing for decades, were you prepared by your family
1: so to do this the, and if so how the infrastructure we have is is beautiful like I, as i was saying uh, mirza gulam amma came to unite mankind And through that, he created a vibrant, organized community. We have over 16,000 mosques around the world. And so um, our Khalifa, our spiritual leader, His Holiness Mirza Masur Ahmad, leads tens of millions of Ahmadi Muslims in over 200 nations. And this means that we have weekly Islamic classes happening in our mosques uh, all across the world and all across the nation as well. So from when you're about six, seven years old until you're about 18, 16 or 17, you're getting educated every single week about what... Islam is, and how you can be a good Muslim American. So we took all that, and we brought it to the streets. And we've been doing other stuff, too. We've been having flyer campaigns since Fashal Shahzad tried to blow up Times Square, saying that Muslims are for peace. We've had um, a blood drive happening uh, since the 10th anniversary of 9-11 in honor of the 9-11 victims to let people know what Islam actually is about. So we've been, you know, piecemeal getting ready for this big day, meet a Muslim, and You know, it's just going to lead on to the next thing, whatever that snowballs to. So let me ask you about that, because
0: there's not like big numbers, right? Around 20 million Ahmadis in the world, maybe a few more, 16,000 mosques, big community. But the global Islamic community is, you know, a billion plus Mm -hmm. to a billion and a half people. So in some way, you're a minority within a very, very big community. And I'm curious, because for many people in minority position, Mm -hmm. that becomes the reason to shut it down. Mm -hmm. It sounds like for... You and for the Ahmadi community generally, and it's interesting because it was sort of the answer you gave to the Saudis, which is you guys, you're like, you're so used to being the norm, you've forgotten what it's like to actually engage anyone else. But I think for a lot of people, when we're in the minority, that becomes the excuse for shutting down, right? We're small, we're not the majority, we don't have the luxury of being open. And yet, in your telling, it's just the opposite. It's that minority experience, either within the global Islamic community, either as Muslims in America, it's our opportunity to open up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we are actually the single largest Muslim community uh, guided by one spiritual leader. Right. And through that, we've been able to progress um, Leaps and bounds across the rest of the Muslim world Over the past 120 some years Progress in like numbers yeah. Numbers, mosque building And community service We have um, oh, really? dozens of hospitals and schools All across the world That's dedicated to serving the poor Dedicated to serving the community You know, we're not here to get wealthy Or get get rich, you know and It's all a volunteer run organization. And so, you know, His Holiness travels the world speaking in in different places. He was in Capitol Hill in 2012, and he said that the path to peace is just relations between nations. And that justice has to be on every single level of society. And what we're doing in talking with each other is a form of justice where we're getting to know each other. And additionally, what happened in, you know, the Jewish cemeteries, this this unforgivable tragedy, um, is uh, an injustice. And we're not going to have justice within the Jewish community. We're not going to have peace until those people who committed those crimes are caught and uh, justice has made it out on them.
0: So it's interesting because centralized authority, which actually the Jewish community does not have, most Muslims don't have. Mm -hmm. And I get all the arguments against centralized anything. But this is a really interesting example of where centralized authority can actually empower people. Where your raw numbers don't matter, it gives you a sense of purpose and identity and cohesion cohesion that allows you to go beyond yourself. And I think that's sort of the, the, the key of what you're describing is that we can go beyond the comfort zone because we feel a sense of security and a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning in going beyond. And that's why I think figuring out what it means to get beyond our comfort zone. And they're going to be different for everyone, right? For one person's, com- you know, leaving the comfort zone is too different. You and the Saudi guys talking to each other, which I'm sure for them, because unless things have changed radically, you know, in the last couple of days since I did some research, there's not insignificant persecution of Ahmadis in Saudi Arabia. I'm not trying to stir up a political hornet's nest. It's just the way it is. So there are a million good reasons you could have had to say, I don't need to deal with you. Mm-hmm. I-, I already know who you are. And instead, it's just the opposite. It's we don't know each other, and that's exactly why I want to get to know you. Now, I expect that every single one of us, me, Elad, you, every single person is listening. We know where our comfort zone is. And I bet if we stopped for a second and just said, whether we're going to do it or not, we're not asking people to sign up to anything yet, yet.
1: Could uh, you I, uh, huh? Muslim maybe. Maybe a Muslim I, mean, I, would, I would advocate for that <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, coffee and cake right, there you go.
0: <laughs> Could you imagine somewhere in your life, you don't have to do it, but going beyond your comfort zone would actually leave you better off. Now if we just stopped for a minute and imagined it, because it's very hard to do what you can't even picture, you don't have to do it. But if you could go beyond your comfort zone, what would you need to do to do it? Because I do think people need to be helped to this. I don't think it's like just, you know, man up. I don't think it's as simple as that. You described a religious community, a family, a group of other youth. You don't do this alone. What do you need? And how would it benefit you? Not how it would benefit them, whoever them is. Not how it would benefit the world. Because actually, I don't care. I mean in the most wonderfully self-serving way. And I'm curious, in that regard, what do you think you got out of Meet a Muslim?
1: I got to meet my neighbors. I got to show a level of kindness to them. And that's, unfortunately, that's a part of my faith. I don't get to practice as much. Uh, How so? What do you mean? Always focused on career, social media, (laughs) you know, know, reading the newspaper. That's all stuff for me. I don't go around the neighborhood knocking on doors, asking people, how can I help you? How are you doing? You know? But this was an opportunity for me to go meet my other neighbors and have a good conversation. And I like that. That's great. All right. Now
0: some of the personal stuff. So what's, your, what's the backstory here on Salaam? Oh where, where do, did you grow up? How, well, uh, stuff like be really the basics, because so, people want to yeah. know, because all those pieces somehow combine to make you the guy who's doing this, which is cool.
1: Uh, born in central Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, PA. Okay. Uh, born and raised, and uh, came out to New York for law school, uh, and I studied here, took the bar here, and I stayed here. Uh, and I love New York. Um, I, uh, had, I went to my first Shabbat dinner a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was fantastic. I loved it. Uh, I was an active member of Hillel in college. Uh, oh, Happy Purim, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Purim was good. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I, I did stand-up comedy, improv, sketch Why comedy. Why am I not surprised <laughs> by that? <laughs> you know, when you're in New York, you got to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I done theater. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I love my faith. And uh, I don't know what else you're going to ask me. I'll just ramble on. No, it's good rambling. It's Did definitely... you grow
2: up uh, with the beliefs that
1: you have now? Or... So I was, yeah, I was born into the family. Uh, my parents are Ahmadiyya mm-hmm. Muslims. And then, you know, as you were saying, you go, th- there are elders who were looking at me pro- like, we've lost him. And really, I'm like, I'm trying to find me, right? you know? And <laughs> I think everybody goes through this age of ignorance uh, to find out, you know, where they belong in life. Mm. And so definitely, yeah, I definitely went through that period of, of, of looking and researching. Um, and... Uh, I found that, uh, the beauty I found about Islam is that it takes pieces from all other faiths and it makes it united. And that's something that I like in that evolution of religion, that, you know, we love and respect Prophet Moses and Abraham and David and Solomon and so many others. And that helps me live in harmony with my Jewish brothers and sisters. And same thing with, you know, Christians, you know, we love and respect Jesus as a prophet and helps live us in harmony with our Christian brothers and sisters, and so on and so forth. Got it. So let me ask you,
0: I know that the, the True Islam campaign, there, there's 11 points that it stresses. I really just want to ask you about two of them, because I think that one of them... Um. Probably is not what people imagine. And the other one, because I think all people, like I said, faith or no faith, could benefit from it. So the first one is, um, and it's actually point nine on the list of 11, true Islam recognizes that no religion can monopolize salvation. So I wonder if you can talk about that, because I think often, many people of different thoughts and ideologies, doesn't have to be a religion-based one, it can be a politically-based one, a nationalist one, they think, no, 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 Our way is not only the way, a great way, it is the only great way. And this is saying, no, no, no religion can monopolize salvation.
1: What's that about? To my previous point about acknowledging and respecting and loving all previous prophets, same thing for that. We cannot love and respect the previous prophets without also honoring their truth. And in honoring their truth, that means that that was a way towards salvation, And that is still a way that their followers can achieve salvation, get to heaven uh, in this time and age. Um, We also believe that there's no compulsion in religion. So it's not a convert to Islam or die mentality, which means that it's not just about Muslims getting to heaven and everybody else will be in hell. You'll also find Muslims in hell and non-Muslims in heaven. Uh, And what we believe is that hell is a temporary place, that God as a gracious and merciful and loving God, is going to make you pay for your sins. You know, you burn them off, and you work your way up to heaven. So everybody at the end of the day, however long this day is, is going to end up in heaven.
0: So it's interesting, because obviously the Qur'an teaches there's you no know, compulsion in religion, and yet for many people, their experience of Islam, other the quote, wrong kind of Muslim, mm-hmm. Christians, Jews, secular, whatever they are, say, wow, I felt pretty compelled and <laughs> pretty coerced. Yeah. So what... When I I ask about that particular line, because there's a a big leap from no compulsion, it's true, I won't force you to be like me, but you're going to fry if you don't make the right choice, to, no, actually, our way is a right, holy, divine way, but yours may be, too, for you. That's a next level of thinking that I think, actually, whatever people are most passionate about it would be really interesting for them to imagine, what if the person standing next to you,
1: who is living so differently from you, is actually on an equally holy path? You know, when I was a teenager and trying to find my way, originally I was like, it, life is black and white. You're either Muslim or you're not, and you're either right or you're wrong. And if you're not Muslim, you're wrong. But then as I researched and I really got into the rational discourse, I realized, no, life isn't black and white. It's gray. And that's okay. And I got a lot more modest and a lot more humbled from that in talking with other people, learning what their struggles are, and realizing that, you know what, they're doing all right. So let it be. You know, the Quran also says for you, your religion, for me, my religion. And that's it. So, why do you think
0: the experience of so many people? And, you know, you're not responsible for (laughs) all Islam. So we're thinking together, all three of us, and I think probably people listening. What do you think got off the rails from your perspective for so many Muslims in the world that they would listen to you and they're tearing their hair out saying between Brad and Salam, they're destroying not just Islam, but all decent religion, right? They're two crazy relativists. They are probably not committed to anything, which is funny because... Actually, both fairly traditional so
1: what what, what happened here? You know, prophets sounds like mountain. some Jews I know. I will know. <laughs> say this, this, this doesn't belong to anyone. This is, the, this is all
2: so I was like all oh, sounds so familiar, right? <laughs> Mike.
0: By the way, you show me anyone passionate about anything. I don't care, passionate Democrat who has learned to hate Republicans, passionate Republican who thinks all Democrats are giving away the country. passionate Right. Everyone has mm-hmm. figured out how exactly why the person not doing it like them is paving the way to hell and destruction. Yep. And ironically, if I were to find one thing
1: that's paving the way to hell and destruction, it's that approach to everyone else. Yep, that's it. Ego and self-centric uh, ways is what's bringing everybody down. And mm-hmm. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said that when faith has gone to the Pleiades, a man of Persian descent will bring it back. And so, you know, essentially meaning when faith is just gone, right? When the mosques are big and ornate, but they're empty. And when the Quran is, you know, you know held high on a shelf, but not read, that's when we're going to need that Messiah to come. Hence, Mirza Ghulam Amit comes. Because you look at the state of the Muslim world, it's terrible. There's a failure in Muslim leadership. I'll be the one of the first hundreds to admit that. It's, it's terrible. Look at what it's doing to the whole world. And we needed this Messiah, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, to come and to bring Islam back, to revive Islam's true teachings. So with that being said, it's important to note that these divisions are causing harm, and it's important to note that Ahmad came back to unite mankind.
2: I'm curious about one thing. Um, it's interesting Uh, I'm just, I guess I'm trying to understand exactly when you you say, so you say there's like this true Islam, Mm. but then you're also saying that we need to accept different points of view. So I'm curious how that works within Islam as opposed to with other religions. Like
1: interpretations?
2: Uh, Yeah. Like in the sense that, you know, because you're, I mean, I'm curious what it means by true Islam if we're also saying that. That there are different points of view mm. are valid, you right? Know? Um, I'm, like I, under, I'm, I understand what you're saying in terms of like Judaism, Christianity. Mm. So, but how does that work then in, in Islam? When you're at, in, at least on a personal level, how, does, how do you relate to other Muslims and other points of view
1: in the Islamic world? Um, so, you so, know, in your life and through your work. So it, uh, Prophet Muhammad said, uh, "A disagreement uh, amongst my community is a blessing," mm. and it, that means you can never be complacent. You know, you're always thinking, you're always trying to figure out. We know what to do, how to have dialogues and that kind of stuff. Different opinions, as long as they don't make you sin, it's fine. Mm. You know, you can interpret a verse in one way and that's okay. From a, and if it's different from the way I interpret, as long as nobody's getting hurt or you're not sinning, nothing wrong with that. But
0: here's the tough question, because I think actually, and, and my exposure to Islam ranges from the most secularized, right, where it's a cultural deal. I would say, conceptually progressive, but traditionally observant, like you and other members of your community I've met in the past, mm-hmm. to, I mean, burn it all down, hardcore mm. Islamists, um, both in, in South Asia and the Middle East, right? So um, they all will often say some version of that, and then the rub becomes what counts as a sin, mm. right? So they will say, well, no, 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 we're, we're cool with people as long as they're not sinning. But, Brad, you have to understand the level of sin that America commits or that Jews commit or the Christians commit is so profound, we have no choice, right? So I guess what I'm asking is what allows you, do you think, right, because you don't have to answer for them, that's their issue. Mm-hmm. But some people have a sense of, of sin that has to be stopped, that is defined totally by how they do things. Mm-hmm. I hear you suggesting a category because it's not, no, 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 there's no sin, do whatever you want, it doesn't make any difference. I don't hear you saying that. But at the same time, I don't hear you saying the measure of sinfulness and sacredness you're not the owner of or not the only owner of. That's a big difference. What allows for that where you can say, no, 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 this is a real category, quit sin and wrongdoing, but it's not defined only by me.
1: So religion is in the jurisdiction of God. You know, when people will look at others and judge them for their sins, it's like, you know, I think that's God's, that's God's mandate. You know, there's Muslims out there, they'll say that Amadi Muslims aren't Muslim. There's Muslims out there that'll say Shia Muslims aren't Muslim. Mm-hmm. And, uh, everyone's pointing fingers. Mm-hmm. And same thing probably with in Judaism. People Definitely. say, oh, he's not Jewish or yeah. you know, this and that. And that's not something we can ever really know. Uh, and there's a great example during one of the battles, um, uh, there was one of the companions of Prophet Muhammad who was about to kill one of the enemies. And the enemy, you know, recited the, uh, the Kalama, the Declaration of Faith, to become Muslim. And the guy killed him, the Muslim killed him anyways. And when word got back to Prophet Muhammad that there was somebody, this enemy had recited the you know, de- Declaration of Faith, but he was still killed, Prophet Muhammad was livid. And he called the person who, um, who killed him and said, did you tear open his chest and look at his heart? And he asked this question so many times that the man wished he'd never been born. Because this goes to show you that it's only within God's jurisdiction that he knows what's going on in your heart. And this man thought that the person became a Muslim just to spare his own life. But you never know, maybe he actually did become Muslim, and only God can say that. So when it comes to judging others for their sins or saying, oh, you're not good enough or you're not a good enough Muslim, nah, we can't do that. And if we do do that, and there are people doing that, it's led to so much discord. And if you look at the government of Pakistan, the Second Amendment of their constitution says that Ahmadis aren't Muslims. Right. And our Second Amendment is more beautiful, you know, right to bear arms. Whether or not you want to, <laughs> hey, but you can and it's great and we have Supreme Court decisions on it. It's fantastic. But their <sighs> Second Amendment says, hey, Ahmadi Muslims aren't Muslim. Right. You know, it's just like vomiting all over the divine thing that is a constitution or the greatness of it. And so that's what we see. We see... Vigilante justice happening where um, uh, non-Amadi Muslims in Pakistan will go out finding Amadi Muslims to kill them yeah. for any sh- reason, and none of them have been prosecuted. There have been scores of Amadi Muslims who have been killed over the past few decades, yeah. and nothing's been happened right. to the murderers. Right. And because it's constitutionally okay. Right.
0: They don't count. They're non-Muslim, and therefore it doesn't
1: count. And it makes you – there's a class-based you know, uh, citizenship. Yeah. You know, Sunni Muslims are at the top and Ahmadi Muslims are at the, the bottom, bottom, you know So when we have that happening, there's no equality If there's no equality, then look at what happens You, you got Christians and Jews, atheists, ho- all these different types of people being persecuted for their faith yeah. And that's not Islamic So I- let me ask,
0: because this is the second thing I want to talk about and connects to the Pakistan issue But also I think what a lot of people see as the defining feature of contemporary Islamism, if not Islam, mm. and that is that that Ahmadis advocate for the separation of mosque and state. Mm. That's a biggie mm. because right here in America, we got plenty of Christians who actually don't want separation of church and state. In the state of Israel, it's a live debate about people who don't want the separation of synagogue and state. Mm-hmm. Globally, I think you know, most Muslims would go, what are you talking about, separation of mosque and state? That's insane. That's the opposite of what we want. Now, I know what my response is, which is I'm willing to revisit the premise that the separation of religion and state is a good ide- a bad idea, because I think it's a bad idea, that se- separation is a good idea. Right. I'm willing to rethink that premise okay. as long as someone can point to one time in history— <laughs> when the durable connection between religion and state worked out real well? Because I may be wrong. I understand intuitively why I think, whether it's my synagogue, your mosque, or someone else's church, do not marry that to state power. Just don't go there. It doesn't work. But I may be wrong, but now the burden is on someone after the last 3,000 years of recorded history or so. Can you point to a time when it worked out well? long term. I get it in the moment for a small group in power. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. But where it worked out well as a human good. So those are my terms We're willing to revisit it. But I do want to understand, because I think a lot of people are like, come on, they don't really believe in separation of
1: mosque and state. It's not possible. So two points to that. One is uh, what the Quran says, and two is Prophet Muhammad's practice. One, the Quran doesn't say anything about what type of government to have. There's two elements in the Quran that you should follow if you want an Islamic form of government. And one is have justice on every level. And two, have mutual discourse. That's it. Consult with each other and have justice. That's it. Not democracy, not this, not monarchy, whatever it is. It has to have justice and mutual consultation. Secondly, Prophet Muhammad's, uh, peace be upon him, practice was having a choice of laws. When he was the governor of Medina uh, and they had drafted the first written constitution in history, uh, let's let's be clear here Of uh, a Jewish and Muslim and Christian uh, And pagan area And atheists as well You had a choice of laws You had the secular way And then Jews could be run by Jewish law Muslims were run by Muslim law And in fact, because Islam was still in formation A lot of Muslim laws were Jewish laws And there are historical um, Hearts within Medina's history While Prophet Muhammad was governor Where this was working great And it worked fantastic So there's no reason why separation of mosque and state cannot still work today. And it's unfortunate that Muslim leaders today have forgotten Prophet Muhammad's practice.
0: So let me ask about the language where I said I was going to bring up at some point of true Islam. Mm -hmm. Because again, it seems to me that you're going to present true Islam as you see it, someone who we would all go, oh my God, they're scary, crazy, dangerous, but they also are calling it true Islam. Mm So I guess I'm always a little bit uncomfortable about those debates because they can't – they create conflicts which we can't solve, right? right? In other words, he says it's true Islam. You say it's totally different, but that's true Islam. Mm -hmm. I say this is Jewish. I don't talk about true Jewish because I don't believe in that kind of language. But what is someone supposed to make of that debate Mm -hmm. since you certainly know that what you are presenting is not the norm that most of the world experiences, So is debating which is the true Islam necessarily the most helpful way to pursue this, I guess I'm asking?
1: This is a clear-cut way to show everybody that what extremists are doing is incorrect, and it's a way to enhance our national security. So once... Americans of all different types of backgrounds, Muslim and non-Muslim, know what Islam's true teachings are, we'll be able to guide Muslim youth who are going towards extremism back to the right path, and we'll be able to help non-Muslims realize that Islamophobia is not necessary. We can extinguish extremism on both sides through education. But
0: doesn't that happen? Isn't kind of the proof of the pudding and the eating, by which I mean, or it's I mean, we have evidence-based medicine, so I'm a big advocate of evidence-based religion, Right now, the evidence, sadly, and by the way, this is not just in Islam, right? This has been studied over and over and over again. It's more prevalent in Islam today, but every study tells us the more passionately religious a monotheistic community is, the more likely it is to do violence and especially to harm people who do not think as they think. And that's true in Christian communities. That's true in Jewish communities. It's true in Muslim communities. And so if that's the case, and I can say that as someone who at a point in my life was a violent Jewish extremist, Mm. I guess what I'm saying is that maybe the path to doing this would be saying, no, no, if if it functions that way and it claims to be part of the tradition, the unfortunate truth is it is part of the tradition, and the issue isn't the tradition It's how do you help people make better choices?
2: I'm sorry, I I don't mean to interrupt. I'm just curious how they defined passion. What is that like? It was was self defined. It was the more theocratic in nature, Mm -hmm. the more grounded
0: it was in its faith, the more it would thump whatever holy text it wanted to prove itself, Mm -hmm. the more it said, No, this, God wills this. Mm -hmm. So it turns out that some people are screaming, God wills it, and it's horrific. You're saying God wills it, and it's pretty beautiful and pretty compelling, actually regardless of what faith you may follow, right? It seems like a pretty reasonable prescription for how a nation recovers its sense of community, widen the sense of neighborliness, Mm -hmm. offer to be of service to others, be passionately committed to your own personal path, and genuinely humble before you judge other people, right? So what do we do? Would it maybe be better if we said, no, those are all part of each of these traditions. And now the real work is, it's not a, It's not a question of the faith, it's a question of the faithful. And we're going to be judged based on how we deployed our understanding, whatever faith we follow, how did we leave the world? And the world as we measure it includes the people who think and believe like we do and the people who don't. Right? And I was, So what I had said to Elad before we even met was I wondered... Would it be more helpful? And I'm really asking now. The other stuff I genuinely believe, and I and I do think this debate about which is the true faith won't help, because I am sure the people in Pakistan who are persecuting Ahmadis every day think that's because it's the true faith. right? We have no choice. We have to. Might it be better if there was an initiative called Coffee, Cake, and Beautiful Islam? Because my sense is, that most of us don't know how to evaluate the truth claims of a tradition that isn't ours. But we're confident saying what we think is beautiful and what isn't.
1: Truth is beauty and beauty is truth, sir. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, it comes down to, we call it true Islam because um, on our website, it'll expand uh, when you click on the point, it expands on why this is a point of true Islam. And that's because we source it right from the Quran and right from Prophet Muhammad's sayings and teachings. There's no intermediary. Over the past 1,400 years, you have religious scholarly opinion, khalifas, this and that. We don't put any of that in there. We say, let's go right back to the root. If you uh, disagree with this, let's debate. Let's have a public dialogue. Let's have a discussion. And let's really get to the nitty-gritty. Is freedom of religion an Islamic point? Let's talk about it. If you think that there is no separation of mosque and state in Islam, let's talk about it.
0: I hear you. And I, I, I think that's more of an internal thing. And that's, I guess, what I'm asking. I think the debate about what's true Islam is an important debate within the Islamic world. Mm-hmm. I wonder if maybe for all the rest of us who are going to listen to you and so quickly, so many go, yeah, that's nice. He said it. But look what's going on in the world. And there's more of them than there are of this guy. Mm-hmm. But the people could be asked, which do you think is more compellingly beautiful? It's not my job as a Jewish American to weigh in on what's true Islam. It really isn't. It's not appropriate. That's the pretty version. The rough version is I think the guy blowing himself up and screaming Allah akbar is as much a part of true Islam as you do. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean that from an evidence-based perspective, it's all in. Mm. But I do believe as a fellow citizen with you in this country, I can say what I think is beautiful. And I have nothing to apologize for. When I say that form of Islam, I don't think that's beautiful. Salam Bakhti's form of Islam, I think is beautiful. And let's see which one wills out.
2: Well, I think something that's really beautiful about what you're both discussing is this, like, because you were saying it's about the, I don't remember the exact wording, but about like the people versus the belief uh, sometimes. And I think what I, I find really beautiful about what you're discussing is that your belief requires... Uh, the people to behave a certain way And to think a certain way That that kind of forces that I don't know if forces is the right word But it creates the dynamic That ho- hopefully you would have in a, in a situation that was less charged And less, less angry And these sorts of things um, So I don't know I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm answering anything But I do think that there's kind of a, a beautiful, co-
1: beautiful cohesion. See, <laughs> so you know, we want to use that language. No, it's it, a true cohesion, a true right.
0: cohesion. But it is funny that the whole John language. You no, know, but it's so funny because that whole language of truth. I think because of how we've been trained, and I can get really nerdy about this and explain why I don't think it's really what truth is all about. But no one wants to hear me on that. Gets us into a zero sum place mm-hmm. that beauty doesn't. And that that's why I wonder if the question of what is true Islam and what isn't is an internal question and a very important one. Mm-hmm. And what is beautiful Islam may be the external question that we as a nation need to, to ask. If for no other reason is for me what gives people the space to go beyond their comfort zone is the opportunity to acknowledge where they are right and where they've been wrong at the same time. If we're asking what's beautiful Islam, I can say, no, I've been right about a lot of my fears and angers at the global Islamic world. But I have been wrong to imagine that that is all there is Mm -hmm. because I see this person in front of me and he's a beautiful human being. He's actually helping and not one beautiful human being, but part of a 20 million plus global community. That's not nothing, I get it. 1.3, 1.5 billion, it's a minority. But, boy, that's a very big If you could mobilize, and there are 20 million people mobilized around something that beautiful, I would say to that person, does that give you a little space? You can have like 90% of your anger. But could you, could you imagine, I've met this guy, so maybe I should dial it back 10%. Mm-hmm. And what would it look like? If everyone was willing to dial back their presumptions, just 10 heck, 1%. I had a teacher once who said, just remember, the biologic genetic difference between humans and orangutans is about 1%. Which means if people would change by 1%, they'd go from being orangutans to human. Mm. If you could get rid of 1% of your presumptive anger and suspicion, the person you're looking at would actually look like your neighbor, not like a monkey. That's right. And for me, that's the real gift of these encounters is that, no, you don't have to give up all of who you've been and change all of who you are any more than anyone should ever ask you to dilute one iota of what you believe. But what would it take to be sufficiently comfortable to meet another person and say, you know what, I I get it. The big picture is still a big picture and it's pretty crazy and sick and scary But it's not the whole story. There is more to this story. There is that crack where some light comes in and some light gets out. And I don't know, in my experience, every great movement starts with that cracking. And then it goes from there. So I have a feeling that we're getting to a place where we need to begin to wrap up. So I'm curious... Um, before we do the formal thank you part, because this really has been powerful and beautiful, and I am really appreciative. Is there a last piece that you want to share connected to this conversation that you think is important to
1: get out there? You know, regarding the beauty aspect, you know, we actually have on our website an option uh, for Muslims and non-Muslims when it comes to these points. For Muslims, they get to say, yes, we do believe this to be true Islam. And then, you know, that internal conversation can happen. And then for our non-Muslim supporters, there's a button that says, I am a Muslim ally. Mm. You know, yes, I do find this to be beautiful. I do find this to be amazing. I do find this to be what Islam actually is. And they click that. So there you go. There you You go. And uh, we have a great social media uh, community as well. Over, I think, 60,000 strong now on Twitter at True Islam USA and Facebook as well. We have a great team of volunteers. Uh, who are working around the clock to answer people's questions and as post amazing images and videos to have that conversation. And we are chipping away at that 62% number. So if, if Pew is listening, we hope you redo that survey <laughs> so we can really see how we've done over the past year. And uh, really to everybody else, I hope you go out and meet your neighbors and be kind to them, and you can really change the world. Because God wouldn't have this teaching in every single, in, in, in the Torah, and the Gospel, and in the Quran, unless he understood the power of it. And he understands the power of it. If we're nice to our neighbors, cities will be better, states will be better, countries will be better, the world will be better. And we're, since the world isn't better right now, we're not being kind to our neighbors.
2: Right.
0: No, I think that's exactly right. And, and again, the key is, keep whatever view you have currently, mostly. It's not possible that every one of us couldn't be a little kinder to one neighbor mm. have whatever crazy i mean i'm being extreme here but crazy hateful bigoted view you want as long as it doesn't get in the way of slowly expanding the network of people you're kind to especially if it doesn't and if it doesn't allow you if it allows you to keep expanding kindness to people who aren't exactly like you It's that same premise. Could you just widen it out a little bit? Because when you and all of your friends spread out across the country with those T-shirts and those signs, that was an act of bravery. And it was an act of bravery that whether you consider yourself a religious person or not, it is an act of faith, and it's really inspiring. So I want to thank you for that inspiration and for that faith and for that brave bravery. And thank you for being with us and cracking the echo
1: chamber. Hey thanks for having me. Can't wait to crack it some more. Alright, we <laughs> look
0: forward to it. All the best. Be well. Thank
2: you. I've been around the world, seeing a lot of things as the earth has twirled, been amazed and excited, collecting the clues when I was running trying to fill my own shoes. And now I'm
0: right here and everything's good And all the little pieces fit just like they all should Yeah, life's been going fine I didn't even say it was good Today I wouldn't change a thing if I could